0: Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm the host for this edition of Women in Manufacturing Podcast, and I'm the executive director of the Resharing Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in America. I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, I interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences. We're looking for insights from women leaders across America that we can all learn from. And today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Eileen Barino the president and CEO of Greeno Industries, a large machine shop in upstate New York. Uh, She has such an important and remarkable story to tell us about her company, how she competes globally, and how Greeno is surviving the
0: pandemic. So welcome, Eileen. Thank you very much. Um, I'm hoping you're having a great morning out in Silicon Valley. Yeah, Thank you.
1: So, Eileen, tell us about Greeno. What you do? I know you have CNC machining and vertical turning, and a lot of specialty machineries. So you can can you tell us a little
0: bit about your company? Sure. Um, the company was founded by my father in 1961. So this year we are celebrating 60 years in business, which is, I think, a big accomplishment in today's uh, ever changing, fast paced world. Starting uh, out as a distributor in the metal cutting tool business. And in the mid '70s, uh, we were one of the first companies east of the Mississippi to purchase CNC equipment, which then led us into the manufacturing sector. One of our first projects was our own product, um, a GIS. It was it's called the GIS valve, which is a high pressured steam piloted panel valve that is uh, that is was was on over 400 United States Navy ships. Really that is how the company made its mark. Um, It's our own product. Today we sell, we still sell some valves uh, and we do a lot of uh, technical support out in the field all over the world. And um, we do some, we also refurbish. So that's really where the foundation and the footprint of the company started. Um We are now presently in the power generation business, servicing gas steam, um, some wind. Um, and we are a big focus in the field service industry as we know today. Um, people are not building a lot of new you know uh, equipment. So it's very important to be able to service that industry. Uh, they are need, they need their uh, components, in the faster than faster than you can say the word component. So our one of our main focuses is So let me just ask I'm clear.
1: So you make the machined parts for this equipment that's in the field, is that right?
0: That is correct. And many okay. times we we are we are called upon many many times because they are in an outage situation where the The either the gas turbine or steam turbine is down and they need their components or their parts yesterday.
1: Uh, Okay, so they don't have them in stock. They're not sitting on a shelf somewhere. You have to make the part for them. Is that right? Since
0: the pandemic, there things have changed. There were planned outages and and, uh, you know, the the OEMs were supporting that and they were getting ready. And uh, many of those outages have been moved because of the pandemic due to either lack of you know of personnel or the customer just felt like it wasn't the right time. So they move these and as time goes on, other things go wrong as they unbutton that turbine. And consequently, these components are needed. And when I say they're needed, they're needed, you know, sometimes we will, we have such a flexible manufacturing team that we can manufacture something within 24 hours or less than 24 hours. And send it door to door to that, so that customer is 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 out is working towards, you know that that part maybe holding something up in that outage.
1: Okay, so the planned outages, that's that's downtime for maintenance in these big um, industrial environments, right? Okay. <laughs> so if they don't, if they're not doing planned maintenance, then stuff breaks. Is that's that right, right? And, then, and they don't
0: know it's broken until they start to unpeel the layers of the project, and that's where we come into play. And our company really has been built on service, and it's not something that we just talk about. We believe in it. We do not over deliver and under promise, and our customers know that and come to that, come to Greeno for that very for that very reason, which is you know I think. The future of the of our world today, because as we know, people are not stocking items. Everybody's looking for just in time. So the flexibility of our staff um, really propels us to be able to excel in in the service arena.
1: Oh, okay. So just just for my my interest also, because I'm not sure can you can you talk a little bit about the kinds of machines you have? Because I don't I'm not sure I know
0: what vertical turning is. So. So we have um, our first, the first equipment that we bought was mainly a Mazak shop, which is a a, out of Japan. I've actually had the um, ability to go to Japan to see how the machine tools are put together, which is quite fascinating. So we probably have about 40 various types of machines in our, in our repertoire. And um, we do small turning Uh, milling. And then we also have our large capacity, which is where our Akuma machines are. And we also have the Toshiba that do um, some combined processes of milling and turning, which certainly, um, you know, helps with cost um, and time when you're manufacturing a part. You're not spending all that. You spend the time on the setup, but you're not spending the time moving the part from one you know, one machine to the next machine. So ah, okay. it's a dual turret with dual capacity, with live tooling, again, to make things, you know, move faster throughout the machining process. It's more efficient. Very efficient, yes. And and the other thing I think that we really pride ourselves in is that we um, are really always looking as, um, into continuous improvements know on the manufacturing floor surely through lean and things like that but upgrading our equipment and and staying on top of you know not anticipating what we need before we need it we have a you know one-year plan a three-year plan a five-year plan
1: okay so if the company's been around 60 years i'm sure you've seen a lot of different changes right especially in the technology can you can you talk a little bit about how, how things have changed over time, what the technology introduction has meant. Well, yeah.
0: you know, if you were to look at, at our very, um, our initial part of our shop, we have 70,000 square feet and you can see all of the older, I call it, it's the museum, but you still need some of that ancillary equipment, drill presses and, and things that are, you know, manual lathes. And, and what's sad is that that's a dying art to find someone that is yeah. able to manipulate a piece of metal because at t- you, at various times throughout the machining process, you, you need those. Well, that's
1: You know, you, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people don't recognize there's an awful lot of geometry uh, to what happens on a machine shop floor. Um, so the people are running the machines have to be mathematicians essentially they need to look at planes and angles and directions and yeah it's i i agree i mean it's a it's a skilled labor that is very
0: specialized you know I'll, i i will never forget when we purchased one of the first um Mazacs, that's a palletex system and we were we were told that it would run lights out and we thought that was the greatest thing in the world and let me tell you there are operations and there, yes, there are things that can be robotic that can run lights out, but we will never take away from the human skill and the nature of, 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 of skilled machinists and programmers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of automation, but people are not, I mean, we, people are not losing their jobs because of automation. The, as you know, Rosemary, the workforce is is um, from a manufacturing standpoint, machining skilled machinists and programmers so is very it's very difficult to find skilled right. uh, talent. I mean, unfortunately, right. it takes, takes a long time to learn it too, right? Well, well parents are not parents are not um, you know guiding their children to get into manufacturing because we still right. have the reputation that it's dark, dirty, and dangerous. When really, there are a lot of exciting things going on in manufacturing and a lot of technology, as well as a great salary. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, so some of the highest paying
1: jobs are in machining. So, what, so when um, you introduce technology and new machines, for example, so you put the other old machines in the museum, and then um, uh, you introduce new technology. Um, those workers have to have to learn the new technology too. So there's really an expansion and, and a kind of an ongoing uh, ongoing
0: development for these workers. Is that right? There's uh, there's there's always advancements because there's advancements in you know the, the just the machine tool technology along with the software that comes with it and right. all the back end that a lot of people don't think about down from you know down when you start even from a quoting standpoint. With quoting software and quality software to do data, sheet, data sheets and things like that, it's um, it really is a, a really exciting you know progressive industry, and right. uh, and one that I have a, a, a certainly a a a passion for, and yeah. to, uh, I think unfortunately we have become a bit too technology driven and maybe from on the on the IT side and. Our countries kind of forgot about manufacturing.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot of a lot of changes that have come, and uh, we've had a we've had a um, you know a situation where so much stuff has been um, improved and technology has been introduced and so forth, and uh, it's you know kind of been pushed on the back burner. And manufacturing is, I think coming of age again. You know, all of a sudden we're starting to to think of it as a, a more positive environment and encouraging um kids to evaluate manufacturing and possibly consider it as a as a career. So we like to say we're uh making manufacturing sexy
0: again. Yes, I we've used that we've used that terminology or that sentence many times. Man. Yeah, there you go. And I think you made a good point about, you know, um these young young or people that want a career change just if they have good math skills and just a good mechanical mind there is definitely a place for them in manufacturing and in one one or various areas. Yeah. Yeah I
1: mean there's something about making things that is that is really attractive. You know when you actually make something instead of just sitting behind a desk and looking at a computer all day when you're actually physically making things it's very satisfying.
0: I have to tell you, I would I would I prefer to spend my time on the manufacturing floor than behind my desk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Once you get it gets in your blood, it's hard to get out. Right. So um, so you said you were talking a little bit about labor shortages, too. And I know you know this is something that we hear from a lot of manufacturers that they're really struggling with labor in America right now, um, because a lot, you know, as as uh, Manufacturing moved overseas. All those jobs moved overseas as well. And then, you know, a lot of the technical training uh, colleges, the tech colleges, and the shops and so forth uh, closed. So, in order to rebuild manufacturing in the U.S., we recognize that we have to um, reskill people and and bring them into the workplace, you know, sort of gradually. But in the meantime, how do you deal with shortages when you just can't find skilled workers? What do you do?
0: We're a, we are very fortunate um that we have some folks that are in management positions but came from the manufacturing floor. So when we do have a shortage, for example during COVID, um we had a we have, we you know we we had a few men that were, you know, kind of aging and were concerned about their families, their wives. So they took the, you know, between the Child Care Act and the Heroes Act and so on and so forth, they took uh t- they basically took leave. And so we were very, very grateful because the guys that were in the more administrative kind of programming, quoting, could jump in to do both. Because we remained busy um, and uh through the pandemic in 2020, um, we actually had to turn away some work because of We just couldn't deliver fast enough, uh, which was
1: funny because, you know, there's a general perception that, you know, the economy was bad during the pandemic and uh, companies were really suffering and so forth. And I think that's what we heard on the news about restaurants and kind of other service companies. But a lot of the industrial manufacturers that we've talked to did really well during the pandemic. It's funny how, how, you know, when you... You can't make assumptions broadly across the whole economy. You have to really look at it in segments.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's very true. And we were very fortunate because we are an essential, you know, we are essential business because of the, um, well, just because of who we, who we manufacture for. And I was very grateful when I received my 50 page document from the Department of Defense saying that you are essential. So we were, I was very grateful for that. And we, we really didn't skip a beat. We were ready to, um, move right into remote um, you know uh, sending our admin staff programmers and anything that anyone that was not working on the manufacturing floor obviously logistics quality and and um, and and. uh, engineering stayed but we scattered our ships and everybody was very grateful for that. Uh, we were set up on the back end to be able to have all the other folks remote in, and 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 literally, I have to tell you, we did not skip a beat. And I've heard from some of my employees that they felt like they were more productive at home because there were no interruptions. Sure. So it was very interesting. It was, so you, you, know, staggered,
1: you staggered
0: your shifts um, did, to you can give some separation of the people that way. We staggered our. We have about seventy thousand square feet of manufacturing space which then allows us obviously for the social distancing. Our machines are not, you know, some, at some shops, There's the space is limited, some machines are stacked. We're very fortunate that we have the space. So we were able to have two shifts and then in between the ship, shift, did extensive cleaning, cleaning of the common areas, the restrooms, staggered lunches, so on and so forth. Masks uh, were required, not at your machine, but once you moved through the facility. They were required, and we were we were very fortunate that we um over the last I think it's been what almost eighteen months now, we've we've just had like two cases, so we're we're very very fortunate.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not over yet, right? No, it's, it's getting- not, and I, I
0: and I recall our last conversation when you asked me how I was going to be prepared for the next round. Well, I I was I was a bit taken because I I just didn't. I don't know, maybe it was denial, uh, which is not one of my favorite words and something that I'm used to uh to even thinking about, but I think I was just kind of caught off guard. Uh, but we we're just as prepared now as we were back in, in on this on the 16th of March. Yeah, it's it's you know, there's a lot of fatigue out there, you know, virus fatigue
1: or oh, here we go again, right? I think
0: oh I'm sorry. I think. No, I just think we have to live through it and yeah. keep plugging away, right? We Have to be positive, get everybody vaccinated, and and just be mindful of of how we are carrying ourselves through life to keep everyone safe. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, while well, while well, um, I understand that you did well during the pandemic, you're still competing globally with other uh machine
0: operations uh, offshore right so how how do you do that what do you do well it's interesting because um from a standpoint of you know large runs and production and things like that we um i think that you know there's a place to outsource obviously from to a low cost country um and i'm i just had a conversation with a a business owner out of the chicago area who owned a shop they own a shop in india and uh, was speaking highly of quality And, you know, when he started to explain to me the wages, plus quality, it it, it really is a concern. And I thought a lot about it. And I go back to the service piece, because you're not going to be able to get delivery from, uh, you know, someone globally, and in seven days, it's just, it's just not going to happen.
1: Well, and right now, because of the, the tremendous backlog in um, logistics, um, there are extensive delays. We have, uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, looking at a picture the other day at, in the Port of Oakland. I'm in the Bay Area. So, the Port of Oakland, there are uh, steamships backed up for as far as you can see. So, sometimes they have to sit in the harbor for three or four weeks before they can get unloaded. So I mean, there's no way any international company can compete in terms of uh, time, service time.
0: And I think you know, as you said, this is you know from a you know I think this pandemic thing is going to be like the flu. It's you know, as years pass, we'll we'll just have to keep keep up with. I hate to say you know with with medically what we need to do to to ward the next virus. Do you require vaccines? And uh, we are not required, but we have about eighty-five percent of our staff vaccinated. Which um, I'm in a manufacturing group locally, and that is pretty high, from what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, we will not be able to mandate because we will we, we can't afford to lose staff. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, but that's still pretty high, pretty good. So. so we're <laughs> to protect you. And and I have to say, my staff is very conservative. You know, they're very, very conservative. They, they were all, some of them were wearing masks before, and we are not in New York State mask mandated, but you know, we are all wearing masks. You know, if we're if we're in a meeting, we you know, which you know, we were zooming. Now we're in. Well, we've got we we have masks on, so we're just yeah. Being it's
1: masks. common sense, right? Right. It's common exactly. sense. Yeah. So um that just another question about competing globally. So when. A, a customer comes to you and shows you the differences in costs uh, overseas versus the u s. H- how do you talk them through that? I mean, how do you maintain your your business when you're competing in with low-cost countries?
0: Well, at, at times, you do um you do have to bend and lower your margin to be able to, you know, if, just from a business standpoint. I think it's you know it's it's my business philosophy that everything can't be a winner, everything can't be a high margin. And we just had the situation with a company that we did, we did do that for a stocking program, they weren't, you know, real high quantities. Um, But I do believe that, um, you know, at at some point, you have to be able to say no, because everybody has to stay in business. And the way we stay in business is we make money. So there's, there's a fine line there of um, if you, you know, if they if you want to, you know, buy in high runs and, and, and wait, that wait. And, you know, right now is certainly not that time to hedge your bet. Like you said, you know, ships sitting, cargo sitting, uh, you can't even, there was a, a month ago, you couldn't even find containers. Right, exactly. Uh, I know I have, a, I have a
1: client that told me they uh, are paying 17 times more for a container from Asia to the U S than they did two years ago. I'm, I'm like, are you, are you
0: sure? <laughs> you know, 17, well, that, is true. that is true because I have a colleague who's in um, the gun safe, he's a gun safe manufacturer and has three, had to purchase three containers to get product. Wow. In. And I said, what are you going to do with the containers afterwards? He said, I've already got a guy in Thailand that wants to buy them. So it's, wow. it's, it's an interesting time. And certainly, yeah. these things that we've never had to face. Yeah, uh, interesting time,
1: and a lot of so many companies are being very creative, um, trying to figure out solutions like that—buying containers or, or alternate routes, or you know, all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is what, what we're hoping for is that we rebuild manufacturing in America and that this is an opportunity to sort of put your foot on the gas and say, this is how we expand manufacturing here. And do you um, do you sell to the U.S. government? We do. Yep. We do okay yeah. so um there's of course you know new emphasis being placed on by american and making sure that there's american content so that should that should certainly help businesses like yours
0: yes yes we are we are really excited we um are working with um the uh procurement technical um uh, it's a navy it's called ptac and they've been a big help in getting and moving away from just who we are from a valve manufacturer to educating them into other things and there, there are so many great pro- government assisted programs out there that will help manufacturers um, be able to sell to the government and um, I think that's why what's so important about the uh, our MEP at manufacturing extension partnership offices throughout the United States I was on the NIST board for um, seven eight years And those folks all over the United States uh, became friends and colleagues. And, you know, you really have to think out of the box. And what's the best thing to do when you need to think out of the box? But use your resources. And they're great, great resources in every state. You know,
1: know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I I don't hear that very often. It's kind of the best kept secret um, are the. In the MEP so their manufacturing extension partnership right organized under the National Institute for Standards rolling
0: up uh, and, rolling up to the Department of of Commerce
1: right right so and they're there to help manufacturers all across America with all sorts of issues right so um you know it's my understanding that they are a very helpful organization that it isn't commonly known. It may be known among manufacturers because they reach out to them. But what a great resource it is!
0: It, like you said, it's 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 a sad best kept secret because there are so many manufacturers that believe that they may not have the resources or the funding. There are several right. grants, um, you know, on on especially now with all the new cybersecurity um, regulations. There are several grants um, world, I mean, throughout the United States for cyber, which of course, as you know, has become such a big topic. And I think even back to your question about technology, um, you know, we we did an assessment probably five years ago and didn't realize that one of the biggest holes of a breach is on the manufacturing floor through your machines. So we, we really kind of overlooked that, and that was one of the first places that we we hit. So uh, I don't I think we all need to be be prepared as to not if it's when it will happen, because I'm sure at some point it will happen to all of us. So we better be prepared. Yeah. And, and if, you know, companies that are dealing with
1: IOT, for example, you know, they have uh, information that's crossing the border from your company to the Internet. Um, and all of those places are vulnerable to attacks, or um, you know, passing information that could be used against you in some way or another. And you know, yeah, it's a little, it's pretty scary
0: cyber environment
1: these days. Well,
0: you know, with with um, with many of our customers, you know, we're ITAR certified, we're AS9100, so we we've been following those guidelines, and and we're grateful because many of them now are, you know, it's a double login, which is which is great, and you know, you have, you get the code and it just makes things easier. And it, it it certainly puts our mind at ease because we're we're moving information back and forth in a very secure manner.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff to think about when you own your own business, right? (laughs) The the technology, the customers, the um, introducing new machines and just, wow, it's, it's
0: complicated, but we love it, right? (laughs) We do love it. And that's why we do it every day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Every day is a new day and another day, another day filled with lots of surprises. Yeah. So, so Eileen, can you
1: um, sort of wrap it up by telling us what your plans are for the future? How do you see where do you see your business going in the next five years or so?
0: Well, um, we're really focusing um, our growth in um, the defense world. And um, that's been we've had our uh, certification for about five years and are kind of, you know, figuring out how to move from- Which certification is that? Which uh, certification? AS 9100. Oh, okay. Certifies for aerospace and defense. Um, we we feel that that is a good place for us and growth for the company over the next year to three to five years. Uh, and our succession plan um, is, is, because I'm certainly not getting any younger, and we don't have a legacy- there's not a family member behind me, but I have a really great staff and um, I'm, I'm basing that success my, the succession plan on my staff and moving forward. Um, we want to keep it privately held and uh, keep the legacy going. Well, very good.
1: Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Eileen. It was fascinating.
0: And can you please give us your contact information? Sure, so it's um, Eileen. E-I-L-E-E-N, or, you know, G-U-A-R-I-N-O. And my email address is E, and my proper last name, G-U-A-R-I-N-O, at G-R-E-N-O.com. And I will also give you my mobile number, uh, 518-469-3984. And the website for Reno? Is www.greeno.com, and all That's of that terrific. information. All of that information is on the website, along with some really uh, interesting videos of our shop shop tour, and uh, so in a little bit more detail of our specific capabilities. Terrific! That's great. Well, thank you
1: so much. And uh, you can listen to more podcast on the Women in Manufacturing website, which is www.women. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website, www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Have a great
0: day, everyone. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For
0: more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.